Great worship. Thank you, everyone. My name is David. I am the pastor here, and it is great to be back. It's so great to be back. I missed last week so much. I was off on a week of vacation, a lot of swimming and camping and hiking, all that good stuff. And when you're married to an interior designer like I am with my lovely wife, Julie, there's a lot of housework that happens on the week off. So... (laughs) So we did a whole, we, whole, whole new front room. We, we find it, finally knocked it all out, a lot of painting. And for me, I have a little piece of heaven when I've just got a paintbrush in one hand, my earbuds in, one, in my ears. I listened to Jeremy's sermon on Monday as I was painting. It was so good. So thanks to Jeremy for that. But it is great to be back, great to be back home with my church family. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you found a really great place full of amazing, loving people. So I'm, I'm thankful to have you, and especially on the start of a new series. We are starting a new series called True Prayer. This is a series that is going to be found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, please take the Bible and turn with me there to Matthew 6. And halfway through our last series in Habakkuk, I personally started getting discontent with my own prayer life. I saw the life of Habakkuk and what he was going through and how his prayer turned into praise and then how his sorrow for what he was going through turned into a song and his worry turned into worship. I was just like, I want some of that. Not only for me, but I want our whole church to really take another step further into prayer and for us all to grow in our prayer lives. So often, prayer devolves into this thing that we do that just revolves around us, and it's all about our pressing need in the moment. Am I right on that? Are you with me on that? Like, and I mean, I'm just speaking for myself here, but often I feel like I want God's hand. God, I want this. God, I need this. God, don't make that happen. Please fix this situation over here, God. And it's like, God, I need this. I need this. I want his hand, but I don't necessarily seek his face and his presence. And that's not true prayer. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Please never just take my word for it. That's why we're here in Matthew 6. And I want us to start in verse 1. Because verse 1 is overlooked a little bit, but this is a very, very important key component to understanding the context of where Jesus Christ is coming. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is preaching to thousands of people. He's he's revealing the kingdom of heaven, and he's systematically unraveling at the same time how messed up life is here on earth as he's doing that. And the people are with him, and he takes a break to teach them why they need to pray better, why their prayer is, is often wrong. And this is the start of the whole thing. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And it's very important to see this foundationally. It all has to do with problems in prayer, like not real prayer. All goes back to, what is it? It's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. And today we're going to see that self-righteousness is ultimately unrewarding because we should beware of practicing our righteousness before others. Now, 
prayer is a funny thing. If you stop and think about it, there's a lot of weird things that just go on in people's people's minds when they start praying. And we're going to talk more about this in the future. But I've been there when people just start repeating themselves. They start saying, Father God, Father God, Father God, would you just, I just pray, Father God, I just pray, Father God. You know what I'm saying? Like, it it really can get kind of weird for a lot of people sometimes when when we're praying in front of others. But we're going to see two specific ways that self-righteousness shows up visibly in prayer. And the first one is outward showy giving. And that's verses 2 through 4 of Matthew 6. It's talking about, hey, when you're giving to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, okay? Do it before God in secret, and God will reward you. And then the second way is this overly lofty spiritual prayer. That is also a visible sign of self-righteousness. So before we get to true prayer, the Lord's prayer, we have to talk about unrewarding prayer. Because in verses 5 through 8, Jesus does shred what many of us would think of as prayer. And really, often, speaking for myself as well as many people, what we can fall into this trap of not having real prayer. And that's what we have to address, first of all, today. Prayer can feel boring It can feel dutiful because our enemy knows that prayer is the lifeblood with our relationship with God. It didn't start it. It started by grace through faith. Don't get that confused. But the way we go on and grow in our relationship with God is by having this ongoing conversation with God. If you could think about what would Satan do if he wanted to distort prayer, WWW. SD. I know you weren't coming to church today expecting me to ask you what would Satan do, but what would Satan do to distort prayer, right? Think about this for a second. I would say, first of all, he would clutter our lives, make us feel like we have no time to pray. We always have to go on to the next thing, get this done, and our prayers would be shallow and short, and it would just be a thing to get out of the way before we can uh, get the business, what we really need done. Number two, I think, if Satan wanted to clutter our prayer life, what would he do? He would make sure somehow, we di- when we had a designated time for prayer, we would spend like 85% of that time taking prayer requests with a little gossip sprinkled in, right? And then after you finally do all of that, now we can pray. But Satan knows that taking those prayer requests and just wasting that time doesn't get us in the presence of God where we need to be. And that's not not compelling. That's actually boring. Another thing that he would do, if he could mess it up, he would make prayer self-centered. He would make it about us. So we would be the subject, not God being the subject of the prayers. And what happens if that's the case? Well, if it's all about you, I need this and I, I want this, then when you don't get what you want, you're going to get upset at God. And furthermore, if you're just talking about yourself, you're going to probably go talk to someone else who's going to like have a face in front of you and they can nod and go say and respond back to you audibly, right? So he would mess that up in that way. And here's one more. If he could distort prayer... He would want you to feel like the ultimate spiritual high is when you have that encounter with God on Sunday morning, with God's people, 
Or when you go to life group and you speak an encouraging word to someone and someone else encourages you. He, he would make you think that that was really all you needed. The sermon better have been great. I hope that transition between point two and point three was spot on, David. Like you're thinking about the content of the sermon, which is a good thing, but you elevate that over simply getting with God, talking with God, week in, week out, hour by hour, resting on him and talking with him through your issues. So we can't allow our prayers to be unrewarding. We can't let our prayers be attacked by Satan. Because if you're doing anything, if you're growing in your spiritual life, if you're doing something right, you better believe Satan is going to be attacking you. And this is one of the primary ways that he does that, through messing up our prayer lives. So we are going to see that, yes, self-righteousness is ultimately unrewarding. And here's the ironic thing about self-righteousness. Whenever you preach about self-righteousness, we always want to think, oh, yeah, everybody else needs to hear that. <laughs> we immediately don't want to necessarily apply it to ourselves. It's always like, yeah, that person. But here's the challenge for us today. And I've been preaching this to myself all week. This is way more prevalent than you care to admit, the self-righteousness side of prayer. So I want us to all introspectly apply this to our own lives. And before we get to the good stuff, verses 9 through 13, which is going to be the rest of the series, we have to get the context down and allow Jesus to tell us why he is saying this. So let's look at verses 5 through 8 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who, is in, who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so the first point today, this is the first piece of understanding why prayer can be so unrewarding. And this is the first thing. We need to pray for God's glory, not your own glory. Think about that. Pray for God's glory. I already mentioned how prayer can get really weird. It can be a funny, awkward thing many times. Um, and my goal for you, if prayer is hard for you, especially in front of other people, my goal for you in this series is that you get completely past that. And that mindset is completely eradicated that you're afraid to pray in front of other people. I don't want that for anyone. My goal is that that is gone and that even better, everyone in this room understands what true prayer is like. And so when new people come in, you can help me help them understand what true prayer should be all about. Okay, Because when you think about the fact that it's not about what you say, it's not about how I sound, it's me having a conversation with God for his glory, not my glory, you will go a long way with your prayers. We've already joked around a little bit about this, but have you ever heard anybody pray in the old King James English? They, never, they, they would never say thee or thou in any other, any other time in their entire life except for when they're praying. Um, <laughs> you have the repetition, all those things. It gets quirky, 
And it gets quirky because we're not thinking about who we're talking to. And we're thinking more about ourselves and how we sound than just simply talking with our Father in heaven. In Jesus' day, the, there was an unspoken contest to see how spiritual you could make yourself sound when you pray. And unfortunately, there's still remnants of that going on. But if you have a problem, and I've met people like this, and let me just say this, I'm not trying to step on your toes and, and be mean to you. I just want you to understand this. If you have a problem and if you're scared to pray in front of other people, that's not really a healthy thing. Because the root of that isn't you being humble and you trying to not sound like you're better than someone else. The root of that really, I dare say, is you're afraid of how you're going to appear and how you're going to sound to someone else. And what you have done there is you've made the prayer about you and your glory and not about God. But you can cut this both ways because it doesn't just, this doesn't just matter for the person who's afraid to pray in front of other people. This also goes for the person who can really sound great when they pray. I mean, this person's quoting scripture. They're alliterating their points in their prayer. You, you've been with me on this kind of person, right? Like, they know how to pray. And I've prayed with pastors before, and I feel like, oh, man, these guys are way more spiritual than me, and I'm trying to make myself sound more spiritual. I'm trying to make my own prayer life sound deeper than it really is, and after I pray, I think, okay, that was like an 8 out of 10, David. That was pretty good, I guess. I held my own. They don't think I'm an idiot. Like, what am I doing there? I'm praying for my glory. I'm not praying for God's glory, right? Do you see that? So remember, I warned you, this whole like self-righteousness thing, it's way more prevalent than you think. Let's not think about the other people who have problems with their prayers or think about us because we're so good at praying. Let's like internalize this and think about who we're praying to. It's not about us. It's a conversation with God. So is the posture the problem? Let's kind of work through this. Let's talk through this. He's saying here that uh, not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Is, is the standing and praying, do you think that's the problem? I would say no, that's really not the issue, because in the Bible you see people standing and praying, you see people sitting and praying, you see people laying prostrate and, 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 and praying, right? Um, prostrate, that's a very, don't, don't confuse me. <laughs> laying prostrate and praying. Um, yeah, I always miss that one up. I'm so sorry. I'm always messing that one up. That's why I should have never even said it. But you have all these different postures with your prayer. You really do in the Bible. So that's not the, that's not the issue. Let's quickly move on. Um, is, is, the problem, is the problem the specific time or the specific place? Because they were doing this, right, like uh, standing out in the open. Is that the issue? And I would say, well, you're getting warmer you're getting warmer here. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong, though, with rehearsing a prayer. There's nothing wrong with thinking about what you're going to pray. And there's actually nothing wrong with praying in front of people. You know, when Jesus is actually condemning the wrong kind of prayer, if it was wrong to pray in front of someone, he probably wouldn't have the prayer start, Our Father in heaven, right? I mean, that, that intrinsically says this is about praying. You can pray in community. Of course, you can pray, pray in private. But you should be praying in community as well. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, we look at this and we say, oh, yeah, David, maybe you're onto something. It says, it says there in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. But if you look at that word room, and I, and I, I think there's a great, there's something really there about praying in private. And this made me think of the movie War Room. It's this movie about prayer, and you're praying in this little closet. And that's awesome. For some people, that's exactly what they need. Like, they need to just get alone, no distractions, but not, it doesn't work that way for everyone. Like, some people have to just get out in the woods and get out in nature, and they pray, their prayer life flourishes out there, and they can't do it in a little dingy corner closet. Okay, so we don't want to confuse and make the text say something that it doesn't say. It does say to get in, in a room, but that room, it's, it's the Greek word temion, and it actually means an inner room in a larger room. But when you look at the, uh, the whole narrative of Scripture, it doesn't have to just be this little tiny closet. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, right before Pentecost, you see the disciples praying with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the, and the other Mary, and there's a whole group of people. It actually tells you how many people were praying in that room. It was 120 people, okay? So that's, that, doesn't, that isn't just a tiny little closet. That's a big room of people who gathered together to pray and to take it to the Lord. So I would say, yes, you're talking about the specific place, the specific time. You're getting warmer to the problem, but that's not the problem, Okay? If you can pray in a corner, great. If you need to pray in a hike, great. If you need to pray in a hike with other people, that's awesome too. So it's not the place, it's not the posture. I would say when you look at this carefully, the problem is the show. It's the showiness. It's the self-righteousness. It's the putting myself out there to make myself sound more spiritual. That's what Jesus is addressing Look at the second half of verse 7. Truly I say to you, uh, excuse me, second half of verse 7, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's verse 6. And then verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So let's not mess up prayer in the sense that we make it something about us. Let's make it about God. That's what Jesus is going after. What is the purpose and what is the motive? When you talk to God, go to God and start with him. When you're going into a conversation with him, the first thing out of your mouth probably shouldn't be you, you, you. It should probably be the majesty of who you're talking to, the great I am, the creator of the universe. That's who you're talking to. There's an old quote that's been around for a long time. I've heard it since I was a kid. I think, I'm pretty sure it's been around since the 80s. If any of you were older than me and then you remember the 70s, maybe it's been around longer and you can tell me afterwards. But it is, if you pray to catch the ear of man, the prayer won't catch the ear of God. You hear that? It's not going to. That, there's a reason why that's been around since the 80s. But prayer is an opportunity to seek God and to show Show us and show him that we need him. Now let's look at verse 7. Let's really dive into verse 7, and we're going to see this, the second component of self-righteous prayer. So verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
So the second point today is pray independence, not manipulation. Pray independence, not manipulation. Yeah, we already talked about ritualistic and flowery prayer. It's empty. It's rewardless. But so is rote, robotic, and mindless prayer. And in this time, this is exactly what the pagans did. They would just repeat the same phrase over and over and over and over again. And you even could see that if you go back to the Old Testament and you think of the story with Elijah before the prophets of Baal. And what were they doing? They were saying, oh, Baal, hear us. They said it for four straight hours. Oh, Baal, I can't even imagine. What are, you, what are you doing when you say the same thing over and over and over again for four hours? Really, you're, you're at some point in there, the line crosses over to manipulation, right? You're trying to get your little G God to do something for you. And this is the same thing we see today in, in other faiths, not just the Christian faith. We, we see this with Muslims. We see this with Buddhists. We see this with with the Jews who go to the wailing wall and they write down their prayer on a little piece of paper and they stick it in the crack of the wailing wall and they believe as long as that paper is in that crack and the wind doesn't blow it away, God will continually hear that prayer over and over and over and over and over again. Now, there's nothing wrong with persistence. Of course not. The Bible encourages us to be persistent in our prayers. You see Paul going to the Lord three times in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, asking him to remove that thorn in the flesh. And what is the answer that Paul gets? My grace is sufficient for you. So, so that was not removed. But you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes over and over again and asks the Father to remove that cup. That cup was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on him very soon. The judgment and the punishment of sin was coming on Jesus Christ. He took that punishment for you and for me. So persistence isn't the problem if it's coming from the right angle. This is what James, the book of James says about that. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you see your motive and your desire comes into play here? If you're just saying the same thing over and over and over again to get God to give you what you want really is what you're doing, in effect, is trying to manipulate God. And God is not like us, all right? I have a son, I mean, who asks for snacks 16 times between breakfast and lunch. And in and, and Paxton, he's three years old, he knows that if he says it with a cute enough voice and he smiles just the right way, eventually this human father is going to give in and cave because that was cute and I'm just tired of hearing him ask this. But God's not like that. He knows what we need best, and he's not going to cave. He's not. We can't manipulate God. So what is the angle that you're coming at your prayer in? Persistence is great if it's done with the right heart. It's not. Your prayer should not be, God, give me this job. I really want this job. And if I don't get this job, God, I'm just going to keep asking for this job because this is the one I really want. This is the one I really need. No, it's God. I need a job. Please provide. I need you. The prayer that goes, oh, God and Father, I beseech you who are, thou art so heavenly and merciful upon me, please grantest your humble servants 
Financial security. Financial security. Financial security. Like those kind of prayers are really, really bad. <laughs> those are not rewarding prayers and those are not sincere prayers. But instead the prayer that says, God, I need help right now. I don't got this. My finances are a mess. I need you to please help me. And I know that you're a provider. I know that you care for me. I know that you love me even though I don't deserve that love. And God, would you please provide for me right now a way to get my finances in order? Bring somebody in my life, God, that can, can, that can speak into me and, and help me out in this area. Help me to rely on you, God. I, need, I am depending on you because I know you're all-powerful. That's the kind of prayer that God is going to answer. Do you see the difference there between those kind of prayers? We got to get past our shallow, short, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, give me this over here. And then you move on. Depend on him and talk to him and sincerely bring your needs before him. Let's look at verse 8 now. And this last point is really, really magnificent. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows what you need. Wow. Think about that. He knows what you need before you even ask him. Prayer isn't informing God about anything. It's not, it's not about you letting God know what he needs to know. That is not the point of praying. He already knows. So this really brings up a couple incredible thoughts in my mind. When I think about this and I meditate on this, number one, this is freeing for us to pray. We don't have to worry about presenting to God a perfect analysis of our thoughts and getting it all lined up perfectly. He already knows what we're feeling, what we're thinking, even if we can't put it into words. He already knows that. So that's helpful. He's never surprised by some skeleton in our closet. There's nothing that you can tell God that's going to make him embarrassed or, 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 or you, know, you have to hide your horrific slip-ups from him. He already knows those things. So when we go to him in prayer, this isn't revealing any new information to him. And also, this is another good one when you think about it, God doesn't share what you say to him with anyone else, right? Because when we give a prayer request to someone else, it's very, it's very easy for that person to share that prayer request with someone else. And, you know, word spreads. You can talk to God in confidence knowing that it's between you and him. He already knew it, but you're bringing it up to him, and, and, and that's a good thing. And he's not going to spread that to everyone else who doesn't need to know. So that is the first thing that comes to mind. That's, that's great. But this also begs another question, okay? If God already knows what you need before you even say it, well, David, why do I need to pray at all? Have you ever thought that? I mean, that's the next logical question that, that you're going to come up with. If he already knows what I need before I even ask him, why do I need to even ask him? Well, here's the, here's the answer. And this is super important. God doesn't need your prayers, but you desperately need him. 
Please write that down. Because this will change the way you think about prayer. God doesn't need you to tell him why you need it and what you need, but you desperately need God to intervene and to reveal his will and to help you and to guide you and to strengthen you. You need him. And as your child who's coming before your father is asking him or telling him something or just bringing something up that you don't understand, is what you're doing is you are relying on God. That's a relationship. That's, that's what it's all about right there. You desperately need him. And this is awesome that God presents himself as our father. He's not just an eternal force. He is personal. In prayer that runs to God and depends on God, that's a prayer that glorifies God. So yes, we can talk to our father. And as a dad, what do good dads do? We were talking about this in life group the other day. When you know your kid is doing something that probably shouldn't be done, maybe your kid is hammering some tent spikes into the ground with a hammer, and they're just like getting out of control with that. The dad is going to look at that and be like, all right, stop, stop. And if he keeps doing it, he's going to have to let his kid pound his thumb at some point before he really gets it, right? A good father is going to do that. But a good father is going to be there for them. He's going to be there ready to go when they need him. A great picture of this is actually in the movie, The Shadowlands. And I want to show you a brief clip from this. Before I show you that, um, this movie was made in 1993, so I have to confess, I've only seen this movie on like YouTube, and I've heard people quote it many times. I've never actually sat down and watched the whole movie. I, I should do that, and I think you should. Has anybody ever seen the movie Shadowlands about the life of C.S. Lewis? Anyone older than me that has seen that? Okay, yes, yes, Anna, we're the same age. Uh, that's perfect. It's a great movie, and, and before I show you this clip, I don't want you to be shocked. You're going to see Anthony Hopkins, okay, and he's playing C.S. Lewis, so don't get so wrapped up, and I can't believe it's Anthony Hopkins. Like, okay, get that out of the way right now, and now let's focus on what C.S. Lewis has to say about prayer. What news? Uh, good news, I think, Harry. Yes, good news. Very glad, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. Christopher can scoff, but I know how hard you've been praying. Huh? Now God is answering your prayer. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because, I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. He's got very little yet. It doesn't change God. It changes me. That's what we have to get about prayer. Look at verse 8 again. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God is the good Father who is there for us to fully depend on him. And that means, this is the big thing right here, that we need his presence. That is the biggest benefit of true prayer. It is the presence of God. We just sung about that in the last three, four songs before this sermon. We're singing about the presence of God. That's what you're going after when you pray. That's what you need the most, is you need the presence of God. What do we really need from our earthly fathers? Is it just food or a roof over our head? 
We need more than that. It's not just about his hand, what he can provide, right? What you really need from your father is the man who can come around and put his arm around your shoulder and talk to you and encourage you, give you advice, let you cry a little bit. The presence of your father is even more valuable and more important than even just the temporal needs that he provides you, right? We don't need to just go to him with our needs. We need to run to him with every desire that we have and have a genuine, true conversation in a prayer life that is dependent on him and that relies on his presence. You need his dependence, yes. You also need his presence because that's what changes you. That's what true prayer is all about and that's what Jesus is getting at right here. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So just run to him, get in his presence. When you do that, the world can't touch you. When you are in the arms of the almighty, great I am, creator God, the ultimate heavenly father, no one else can get to you. We can do a lot of things on our own, but eventually everyone runs out of steam. Eventually everyone tires out and can't do everything you need. You need to depend on your father. When you are in the presence of God, you're with someone who is so much greater so our prayers don't need to be about us. It's about him. Self-righteousness plagues prayer because it robs us of true prayer. True prayer is in the presence of God in relationship with him.